Yeah, she'll teach you how to be artistically you. Not afraid to talk about what's taboo. So don't play small. Join the podcast with Nikki Collins. Autism Unmasked. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Autism Unmasked. I'm joined by the amazing Kelly Sheedy all the way over from the other side of the pond. Kelly is in cybersecurity, in particular engineering, and has a background in aerospace and is absolutely fascinating. Kelly is also a late diagnosed autistic person and is going to share some of her journey today with us. So welcome to the podcast, Kelly. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on and being a guest. Definitely. I appreciate you inviting me. I feel really, you know, honored to be on because this is something new for me. It's nice, isn't it? It makes you feel less alone when you're speaking on a regular basis to people. Yeah, it it really does. It makes me feel like seen and heard, whereas before I feel like sometimes not as much, even though some people are trying to be understanding. Um, sometimes it's still, you know, nice to be seen. Of, of course yeah I mean how how long ago was it 18 months about 18 months ago you was diagnosed um not that long ago so I think it's like coming up I want to say so it's like a year and a half I want to say about mm. yeah, so. yeah it's been recent and I feel like since the diagnosis it's been eye-opening to realize um the differences of like what I perceived as normal versus what other individuals might do um, <laughs> and what is like the autism and what is, you know, not autism and maybe just like normal life functioning. Um, finding that distinction now is like very intriguing to myself, but also sometimes a little difficult because we mask so much, at least I do from a certain standpoint that, um, you know, it's, Interesting having to find yourself being so old. Being so old. How old are you, Kelly? <laughs> like, old. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so I am right now 28. So I, I feel like, I don't know, like in a way when you get diagnosed later, you feel like you've missed a lot of your childhood because you had to focus so much on surviving and fitting in that you never really thought about, I don't know, like the just aspect of living and enjoying. Whereas now I'm like going through that phase of like, okay, who, who really am I? What's going on? Like, um, first before I'm just like, just deal with it. Everyone deals with this. Like the noises are loud, like lights are annoying. Like everyone experiences this. Yeah. When I get older, I'm like, guess not everyone experiences that. No, I can hear things like the electric and the cables when my senses are super like I know that if I can hear that whirring and whining noise that I need to do something different because I'm getting close to sensory overload and if you if if you haven't already worked this out I know that you're going to go and test this out after we've finished speaking and it's the difference between the hot and cold water when you run the hot tap so when you first run the hot tap it's cold and then it gets warm, but it changes noise. Have you noticed that? Yeah, it's yeah, like the the heat component of it. Yeah, yeah. 
well, with an engineering background, and probably is another explanation to it for me. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, usually when I hear noise or something, I'm like, oh, it's this. So I don't worry as much, but it's still very aggravating. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I, I go through the same thing, but I feel like I hear it all the time. I don't really have, I guess, as much of like a window until the sensory overload I feel like I'm probably always just living in sensory overload since I'm used to it um yeah I'm still still figuring that one out yeah definitely working out your triggers is a is a really important point to kind of work out because when you can work out your triggers and sometimes especially in the early days it's looking back after the event has passed and working out what could have been done differently so that you are you don't repeat the same mistakes and sometimes you have to repeat them multiple times. <laughs> yeah. Slightly different yeah. each time before you, it st- starts to click and you get, ah, right. Yes. No, I, I definitely feel that one. I'm the type where I, I tend to be extremely blunt and not as much small talk because for me, my brain doesn't compute it as well. So for instance, my brain looks for like results and solutions. So if someone like says something like, Hey, I'm hungry. My brain doesn't compute what that means because there's no input. So for instance, there's no like informing me what that person might need or what that means to them. Like, Oh, I'm going to store to get food or Hey, like, can you go grab food for me? My brain doesn't compute it. It's just like, okay, cool. Which can come across as like rude, disrespectful. But for me, you know, that's sort of how I, I process things. So, But if someone said to you, I'm hungry, could you grab me a sandwich? There comes a clear instruction. And instead of being yeah. seen as an arsehole, you're seen as being someone that can actually do something because you now know what they need. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Whereas if not, then I tend not to. And that's why I also have like a tendency to ask up follow-up questions. Um, and then once I get to know the person, I will just base like base my assumption like on their past needs. So like a little bit like machine learning in my brain. I'm like, what are all the variables? I'm like, this is the likelihood. And I'll just go with that. It works. So it works well. I know my, my other half, she bought me a bag of cookies around the other day because I hadn't eaten during the day. Sometimes I don't register hunger. And when I'm really busy, it, it, I just don't eat. And then I wonder why my stomach hurts. And it's just like, oh, it's because I haven't eaten. And you're nodding. So I know that (laughs) you're the same there. Yeah, I hyper-focus and then I forget the time and everything. And then I have to remember, like, did I eat? And then I'll have to, like, go look and be like, are there plates? Are there not plates? (laughs) Yeah, I same exact way. It won't register. It's either, like... I'm not hungry or I'm starving. There's no in between. And then it's either I'm hyper focusing or I'm not. So for me, I have to like have my own process or like regimen put in place so that I'm aware. Yeah. Makes total sense. Processes and systems are something that we absolutely thrive on without them. Not a lot gets done. Or we neglect ourselves, not on purpose. It's just one of them things. If it doesn't register, how do you how do you do something about it unless you've got a system in place? So, um, but yeah, my other part half bought me cookies around. I was like, I don't want the cookies. 
And then when she left, I was like, mmm, cookies. So at least I had something that day. I had the cookies. And then my son came and tried to steal my cookies and quickly learned that he should not mess with a woman who has PMT and cookies. He quickly backed away. It was very comical. (laughs) He was like, I understand what that means. I will back off. He's 16 and learning. And he's learning fast at this stage. So, Kelly, you said that you started your career in aerospace. And, I mean, that's not sort of the traditional starting place for a female, especially. Um, When we spoke previously, you said that it was one woman to 50 men was a kind of average ratio for people working in the aerospace sector. So how on earth did you get into that in the first place? Definitely. Um, so how I specifically got into it, I'd say I had a little bit of an upward advantage by when I was raised. Uh, my dad was a pilot and still is a pilot. So I got to learn sort of the mechanics and ins and outs of planes themselves, a little bit of how engines work. And since I had that you know, knowledge base, um, I was able to apply for their early identification program. And then just got through in the early identification program. And then as I was going through, um, you know, realized that IT was one of my specialties, what I enjoyed. And then that's how I determined to go to school for cybersecurity. Um, And then after school, jumping back on full time with our leadership program and helping out in that way. Amazing. And presumably that's how you've kind of got into the career that you're in now. Yes. Yeah. What's the best thing about being in cybersecurity? Oh, that is a great question. I think, I don't know, I, for me, it's always about like the people instead of just the work. Um, so it's usually about like the team and how everyone like gets along while we solution things. Um, for me, I'd say also the creative part of cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. Um, developing is like fun, but it's nowhere near fun, as fun as like creating um, a solution. So let's say like sitting there and programming all day and being informed what to create versus having a little bit of autonomy and sitting there and saying like, hey, this is the infrastructure I want to build and working together as a team to like determine that for me is like the parts that I really enjoy. Amazing. That is amazing. So all that stuff goes right over my head. Are you currently looking for work at the moment? Yeah. So currently I am looking for work. I've been applying to a bunch of jobs and doing interviews. I'm determining what company culture is the best fit along with what type of Uh, specific engineering work and how are you feeling about disclosing your autism diagnosis because again that's quite a new thing isn't it yes it's very new um it does make me very uncomfortable and concerned especially since when I was younger I was informed like hide hide your differences uh because they might be used against you and um disclosing is something that I'm very hesitant about, not because I feel ashamed of myself, but because of maybe misinterpretation by others of what that might mean or my capabilities. Um, Some people might right away assume like, hey, this person can't interact with others at all. They don't have any social skills. They can't lead a team. We're just going to have them sit behind behind the scenes and develop. Um, Whereas that's not like the case at all. Um, It's just that I might be more blunt or come across more conditional than others 
Um, and my way of connecting might be slightly different, but I'm still open, you know, to understanding others and connecting and making sure the team is cohesive. So, you know, it's the balance between the two of trying to you know, determine what, what is the right move to make, if that makes sense. Um, I think the more people that know about autism, the better, but I can also understand the vulnerabilities and that people don't always appreciate difference and they don't understand it. And what they don't understand, they tend to try and push away. But what I also know is that I'm writing a book at the moment and the final chapter in that book is about a, it's all the chapters are about one person's story as a later diagnosed woman and what that journey has looked like to them. And the final chapter, it's by a woman who's in cybersecurity and her company that she and her husband have built together. She's autistic, late diagnosed, obviously. I just kind of said that with the thing of the book. But between her and her husband, they've built a multi-million pound cyber business. And she grew up in a culture that wouldn't necessarily kind of expect someone of that status to come from that background. You'd be able to read more about that in the book anyway, but it just goes to show that it's not autism that holds people back. It's people's perception of autism. Exactly. Yeah. hundred um, percent. I, I agree with that. I, I think as well, not only autism, but any other like neurodivergency and or difference, I feel like, can be perceived in like not the best light. Um, mm. And I don't think that's the case. I think sometimes it's just people do things in a different fashion that fits them the best. And that doesn't mean that the result is going to be poor. It just means the way in which it's completed is not the same as another. Exactly. Exactly. You can, there's so many different routes to solve one problem. And we can also, take out a lot of unnecessary steps. So a lot of autistic people can bypass stuff because they're just like, what's that? That doesn't need to be there. So actually we can learn to simplify these things and make the journey from that point A to B, wherever B is, so much smoother. Yeah, I've actually found a correlation between a lot of like leaders who have autism and that process of like um, being highly efficient. So for instance, you think of like Amazon, how they make sure it's highly efficient. Mm -hmm. um, like with, uh, let's say, um, even like Elon Musk, making sure certain things are efficient. Um, I've just found a very similar pattern correlation. Um, even yeah. stock market individuals, they like will cut everything out and they'll just look from point A to point B and everything else in the middle is just like taken out. Um, and for me, I, I can understand that. It makes sense to me. Yes, because you like the patterns, don't you? Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> patterns makes life a lot easier. Um, I always say it's like machine learning and like AI. It makes things extremely easy from at least my perspective. So I know what to expect. I know how to mask. I know relatively how to act. Um, versus if I wasn't, I'm like, I don't even know what to do. <laughs> and then it's just, I don't know random whatever I think I guess 
It's understandable. Thoughts are random, aren't they? Where do they come from? (laughs) Where do they go? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Mind you, everything out there in the world, in the material world, started with a single thought. So somewhere, somehow, that thought popped into somebody's head, like my book. It started with the thought of, well, it was actually more of a voice and not like crazy voices. <laughs> it was more of a, your successes and stories. It's like, ooh. And less than two years later, I'm onto the final chapter of a, of a book to put those stories, some of those stories out there. That's awesome. Pretty, pretty cool. I'm, yeah, that sounds, to be honest, that sounds something really intriguing that I'd be interested in reading. It is a fascinating read. It really is. I think autistic people have such incredible and diverse experiences. And although our experiences can mirror and overlap in some areas, usually in areas of struggle, what we actually do with that struggle and how we use that to empower us forward, that is what I find fascinating. So going back to your diagnosis then, I said you were late diagnosed. How did you end up getting into having that diagnosis? What led you into the doctor's? Great question. Um, So I had a lot of support from my aunt. Um, I always knew like I was slightly different just because of the facet that I'm like, there's no, like it got to a point where I I started to realize I'm like, I think there's a difference between like me and some other individuals. And I don't think people go through life struggling as much as I do, even though I don't show it on the outside. And I was like, let's just, you know, go seek help. But I was really hesitant because I'm like, I also have been taught when I was younger, like the whole, you know, make sure you don't show your differences. So it really came to like my aunt's support, like helping me be like, hey, I'll take you. I'll go with you. You know, it'll be okay. We can walk through things. Um, Testing was like a couple of days long, lots of paperwork, lots of assessments, um, that sort of thing. And she was just, you know, there for me, supporting me through the way, making sure I was okay. Um, because it was a lot to process in a way, because it was like brand, like brand new in a way. Like I knew I was different, but I didn't know what I was going to like end up with. Um, I thought they were going to just say something like, oh, you're anxious from time to time. Um, but in actuality, that's not anxiety. It's sensory overload. <laughs> so <laughs> understanding, you know, like that it's sensory overload now allows me to understand like, okay, what does that mean for me? What are my needs? Does that mean like, you know, like not going to as lot of places? Does that mean trying to work more remote? What does that specifically mean for me? Um, so going through that was really like an experience. I can imagine it was. I think it's, it throws up a lot of questions before you kind of get to the answers when you get a diagnosis later in life. Now I'm, I'm self-diagnosed and I still, I self-diagnosed at 34, I'm 38, which is even more ancient <laughs> in November. Oh, they use the word old. I'm always told don't use that word. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's all mindset anyway. I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I, I don't know how I've still retained that inner child, very much connected to that inner child. And I think as long as you have that, uh, that part of you still there, you never truly age. Not really. It's just a number. Maybe it's because I'm getting older that I say that. I don't know. 
Um, and I cannot actually remember what I was saying. So this is the joy of um, being autistic and losing that train of thread. So oh, we're all. <laughs> yeah, no worries. We'll just wait for the next thought to come and then we'll just jump on that one. Don't worry. <laughs> all is good. I know that you said um, before as well that, mm-hmm. I mean, when we talked before we jumped on to record the podcast, we were speaking about money mindset. And I just thought that your money mindset was so fascinating to have something so healthy from such a young age, because there's so many people have so many money blocks and it's something that I've worked on. I've spent thousands working through my money blocks. Literally I spent thousands of pounds in the forms of pounds, dollars, Australian dollars <laughs> with coaches and mentors across the planet to yeah. help me to undo some of that childhood conditioning and some of the blocks that I've put into place over the years myself. So I did find it interesting, your outlook on money and your ability to outsource things too. Yes. Yeah. So my view on money, I'd say is maybe a little bit slightly different than majority of others, just because, um, I think of things very much like a business. So for instance, if I'm unable to do something, how can I allocate this to someone else? And if I have money, I can utilize that as a tool to help me. So for instance, let's say if my sensories are overwhelmed and I don't have time to clean the house, I can go like purchase like a cleaning service and say like, hey, do you mind cleaning you know, my floors and or the bathroom or whichever needs help with? Um, also too, like getting groceries. if I'm too overwhelmed from a sensory perspective and I don't want to go to, let's say, Walmart or Target or somewhere where the lights might be a little much for me. I'll just, you know, get it delivered. And for me, I always make sure that within my budget, I have that threshold or that allowability to um, have the, what I call like the, the budget for sensory overload um, and make it sort of just part of my regular like day to day. Um, knowing how to, how to work with my funds, how to utilize myself as like a business. Um, and if I do have to like push myself more, so like just be in sensory overload, I have to also know where the excess is going to come from. So for instance, if I am already in sensory overload, but I'm like, Hey, I'm overspent my budget. Then I have to focus on myself and say, okay, something's going to have to take the hit. So what am I going to take the hit on? Um, and I usually tend to take it on myself um, or I'll like ask for help, you know, like reach out to a cousin or an aunt and be like, Hey, I'm exhausted. Like, do you need to go to the grocery store? Like I'll pay for gas money and I'll be like, yeah, sure. Why not? Um, so for me, that's sort of how I see things. That's useful. That is useful. Um, they say a lot of people say, and this is a common misconception that autistic people are rubbish with money and we can't budget. So no, <laughs> uh, I, some, no, see, yeah, no, I think that's a myth because some individuals are extremely good. So for instance, especially with pattern recognition and individuals that I personally know who like they do stock market for a living and they have autism, they, you know, are fantastic at understanding money, understanding dollars. Um, it's very, what I consider mathematical or conditional. So there's no in between. It's either like it is or it isn't, um, which makes sense. Makes sense to me too. It's uh, something 
it's also something that's very much sort of a, a product of your environment. So if you've got people True. around you who are awful with money, then the good chances are that you will also be awful with money until you work on that mindset and yeah. break through the blocks that the people who are yeah. awful with it. And if you're around people who are great with it, then it will also go that way too. Potentially. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I, I say potentially like as well, because I've seen where some individuals have a very business mindset similar to mine, but because they don't have the same needs, it gets to the point to where they might not be able to comprehend why I spend money on certain things or other things. So let's say, for instance, I'm spending more money on my sensory needs than going to see my friends. They might say, hey, you're not living a balanced life because you're not seeing your friends as much and like you're handling your sensories too much. But for me, like that's a necessity over the other. Um, And it's the same with like, I don't know, um, just how people tell others how they have to handle their money. Um, so for instance, like some people say, Hey, you need to like put your money in a 401k and match it. Whereas some others will be like, that's not smart. You should maybe put it in like, like, let's say like uh, real estate and, or some form of like a universal index type of life insurance plan. So it ultimately depends on like what works with the perfect person's lifestyle and their own needs versus just sort of telling someone what to do. So that's why I like I mean, it's very much like, mm, I can see this. Yeah, so many different options. And uh, mostly I just like to have fun. So <laughs> as long as I've got money set aside for future, like, sensible stuff and yeah. money there to enable me. I mean, we've me and my other half, we've just, just been to Oxford for the weekend. We just had a, a gorgeous time at a lovely hotel that we – chose we spent hours and hours picking the right place and didn't look at the price until the end sort of thing so it was like yeah it was a really really nice place that we stayed at lovely food and it's just like things like that and being able to go out and have experiences and experience the world and I know that the last time we went away it didn't go so well because the world had just come out of lockdown and it had gone from being quiet and closed to just boom, the world is open and everyone seemed to have descended in the exact same place <laughs> where I happened to be, which happened to be the city of York that weekend. Oh my goodness. I'm not a religious person, Kelly, but I was so glad to get into the cha- into the big old cathedral because yeah. there was less people in there and oh, I was yeah. sitting here. That took about two weeks to get over or just the centuryness of it. So it is important to have that balance. Yeah, I know that feeling. Yeah, it definitely <laughs> is. I'm cracking up because I'm like imagining when COVID happened. And I remember when COVID happened, I didn't even know it happened because <laughs> I was just living my normal life. And I'm like introverted self, just to myself, you know, work the basic like minimums for myself. And then all of a sudden, like everyone's like, I have to stay in my house. I can't do this. And I'm getting calls from my other friends who are extroverted. And they're like, what are you doing? How are you staying sane? And I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, don't you know what's happening? I'm like, no. (laughs) (laughs) That's perfect. That's brilliant. It's great. And then like, yeah, there's just so many funny things. 
Like I went to the store and like the shelves were picked over, but luckily all the food that I like wasn't picked over. So I was like, this is great. (laughs) I was like, there are no problems in my life. (laughs) I think my biggest problem with groceries and food shopping at the time was trying to get the things that my son liked. And he was very, well, he still is, very particular on the things and the brands that he will consume. And my partner is the same because her daughter is like, it has to be a specific brand of ketchup. It has to be Heinz. It has to be Heinz mayonnaise. And when you've got a person who is literally mixing ketchup and mayonnaise together to put it onto pasta, and that is their meal, like the meal of the decade, and you can't get three of those ingredients, you're pretty screwed. How do you manage this? Sorry, I'm like imagining, I know in the States at least, there's always like something like Facebook or Craigslist, and you're like, hey, does anyone have ketchup? (laughs) Or like eggs or something when COVID happened. I had to take to Facebook for toilet roll of all things. And it's like, seriously, guys, just because you're at home, it's like, really? You are going to be able to wipe your backside. So I had to take to Facebook because I went around about 10 shops, couldn't find any, and I was down to my last roll. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> Someone did come and save me, and I later bought her a coffee to say thank you for my deep appreciation of this 12-pack of toilet roll, which we made last for a long time. That's so good. Uh, I uh, remember that, too. I remember a bunch of people were saying to, like, cut up old T-shirts and rags and use it as toilet paper and then wash it. And I was like, oh, no. I was like, I'm sorry. I know I have a washing machine, but I'm going to pass on that one. Yes, yeah, so I did threaten my son with a family washcloth. Oh, <laughs> I don't know how I managed to keep a straight face when I told him about my plan. I would have been like, no. Oh, he was. <laughs> it was hilarious. Hilarious. It was one of those moments you'd love to be on a fly on the wall just to watch because it was so funny. His face, classic, absolute classic. Oh, yeah. So did you find it more challenging when you integrated back after sort of the lockdowns ease? Did you find it harder or did nothing change still? Was it still Lily's <laughs> little world? Um, honestly, I think it made it better for me. That sounds weird, but um, it made it better because a lot of jobs that weren't offering remote before were now offering remote, which allowed for my sensory needs to be more met. Um, also too, when going out in public, there's like the, uh, certain amount of individuals allowed in a building, which made the, like the noise go down a lot. Um, let's see what else there's, um, I feel like just like lots of little things for me when COVID happened that I was like, Oh, like this is enjoyable. Um, they had like time slots for like older individuals to go to the store versus like some like regular hours. Um, just like less people outside. So if I would go for walks or I would go to the park, like just less people in general. Um, so for me, I feel like it was a benefit in a way. Um, also too, since I pick up on like, just like everything, even things from like that are outside, even when I'm inside, um, the like less cars, so less movement, um, 
less people outside, like going outside to party, which means like less screaming, less music. Um, overall, it's just a great experience for me. <laughs> but I know it is not a great experience for everybody, um, especially extroverted individuals. I know my older brother is very extroverted and he was like calling and he was also setting up like um, Zoom games for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. So a bunch of our friends, we would just like get on and play Zoom games together. Um, and it's nice. It was also nice too, because like you wouldn't have to see everyone in person. So for instance, I might have the energy to FaceTime someone, but I might not have the energy to actually go to a physical location and sit there and have coffee with someone. So for me, like being able to have that and now it being more socially acceptable has allowed me to, I guess, fit in more without having to stand out a lot, um, which has been nice. So. And it's, and you also have the option of pulling a freeze face if it gets all too much and then just disconnect the call. You can't do that in real life. Well, I do. <laughs> I do do it in real life, but it's definitely frowned upon. Um, yeah, I, I definitely disconnect. Um, I feel like my friends who are close to me, they know when I disconnect. Um, I feel like those who are not tend to think that I'm in a bad mood or I'm being rude, or I'm trying to like, you know, um, disconnect from the group. Whereas sometimes it's just, it's just about like sensory overload and I just need silence to myself and sort of to zone out. I used to be like that. And then I realized that kind of when you get to that point, you should have left quite a a, a while ago. So <laughs> left that setting, but it can, it's a process to actually know when you need to get up and leave. And the majority of my social outings were networking events. So the people around me, I would just stand up and I would say, I've got to go now. I've got to the end of my outdoor quota for today. And if I don't leave, I'm going to make myself ill for tomorrow. And the majority of people would then usher me out. It's like, oh, yes, that's fine. Go, go. Are we doing hugs? It's like, yeah, we can still hug. It's fine. (laughs) But um, I need to leave. And I need to kind of leave like now. And that gap got shorter and shorter between needing to kind of leave and just recognizing that I was approaching my limits. So it would be sensible to do it before I got to that point. Yeah, I think that's that's really smart. I've I feel like I still haven't gotten there yet. I still am learning, so I can probably learn from you on that. But yeah, no, I feel like I've gone to a lot of like networking events, things of that sort. I've always wondered why I don't enjoy them, um, and I think I come to realize why over you know the time of my diagnosis and then putting two and two together this makes a lot of sense yes yes well you will continue to have aha moments for a long time and getting to know yourself on this deeper level is actually a really amazing opportunity and one that I think you're going to enjoy once that sort of fear element and your voice starts to come through even more so you can start to properly advocate for yourself and your needs and there's there, inevitably there is a transformation due for you thanks yeah oh, definitely definitely I'm I'm it's like scared but excited at the same time that's good um good. yeah it's <laughs> one of those things where I don't know like 
it scares me, but it's also excites me because I'm like, this will also help me also help other individuals. Um, it just overall will bring awareness to like everyone's needs. I feel like in our society, we've created very much like a what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, but we created that in order to create like some form of a cohesive society that like we feel connected in and we can create a goal together. But the reality is we don't all have to do things the same to have a cohesive goal and to like be going in the same direction. We can do things in different manners and still end up like with the same result. So. Absolutely. It's just important to know where you're going really. And sometimes when you don't know where you're going is to give yourself the space to work it out step by step. Exactly. (laughs) Slowly but surely. Absolutely. It is a journey and it's a journey for a reason. It's not something we just get overnight. Yeah, it definitely is a journey. Sorry, I'm laughing because I'm like, life has been a journey. It's been, say, very interesting. Uh, lots of things, learning about myself and others. And and I think that's the fun of life is just learning different things and different cultures and backgrounds and differences. And I don't know. It, for me, it makes it more enjoyable. Totally. Me too. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. I think autistic individuals can be some of the most self-aware people around. Sometimes that's a problem in itself because we're too aware of our presence and too aware of what others might think of us or how they might perceive us. But if people don't understand, they can either ask, they can be educated (laughs) or not. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I definitely I understand that one a lot as well. I when I was younger, because I was different, I was like I need to study like people and things. So that's when I learned about like the DSM five, so like, mm. like psychology and like therapy and stuff like that. I just would like read those, read medical journals, be learning as much about people and how people think as possible, so I could understand interactions and I could understand how to fit in. So now when I meet individuals, I tend to have a really good understanding of like who they are. Um, but I think it's come to a point too where I have to understand myself and then also like present it in a way to where they might be also understanding uh, without being afraid or um, perceive the difference as less than. Or sometimes you can't control how people perceive you. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, there there's always, you know, a way to make common ground absolutely absolutely and some people you just got to realize aren't your people and you walk away from them that was the biggest thing that I got from realizing that I'm autistic and that was do you know what this isn't me if you can't accept me for me that's absolutely fine there's the door don't hurt yourself on the way out bye-bye yeah yeah completely understand that I've lost friends since the diagnosis um, I've been informed like a lot of times when I express my needs that like, you're trying to hurt me. And I'm like, I don't know how I'm trying to hurt you when I just can't, you know, leave the house right now. Cause I'm overwhelmed. Um, just different things of that sort that, I don't know, y- you go through a interesting like mental process. So you like, for me, at least I go through feel like it's like a mini grieving in a way like where you have to go through like acceptance denial and like the whole cycle 
Mm. So for me, you know, I tend to first think about like, okay, there's like good times or like, I understand this person is struggling to understand who I am, but like, I'm going to accept that that's how they feel at this time. And, or that's like how they want to like live in the world. And then once I accept that, then it's easier for me to accept myself instead of trying to change them. So like, it makes things much easier. I think the hardest for me over the period of time of being diagnosed is the facet of other people trying to control me, if that makes sense. So for instance, saying like, you don't have that need or you aren't like autistic or like all of that type of like other way so that I can fit their mold when I'm never really meant to fit their mold. So like, Mm. it's the whole, I don't know, understanding differences without trying to control another. And I really think that control comes from like the fear of like fear of the unknown. Like a good example of this is for me, if I'm processing stuff, I tend to go quiet. And if I'm quiet, it doesn't mean that I'm thinking something mean or I'm plotting a revenge or I don't know, like all these negative things that people think. It literally just means like I'm sitting here thinking through a ton of things. And it could even be things that are a couple of days past. My brain is just processing everything. So when I'm quiet, a lot of times quiet is misinterpreted as something negative or something positive or something just neutral in general. Cause sometimes it's just like, I just want silence and relax. So oh, I'm with you on that one. <laughs> yeah. Silence is for me. Silence is amazing. I can go days just sitting by myself in silence and people think it's strange, but for me, I really enjoy it. Um, so it is a absolutely valid pastime and it's needed because the world isn't catered towards our needs. It is very much neurotypical. It's very loud. It's very bright. And there's a lot of expectations and demands put onto people when it's not their right to put those expectations and demands onto others. So definitely on the right track. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I understand that. I, I feel like what comes to mind when you're saying that is, you know, like the truck commercials mm. where they're like, we have new headlights and they're super bright. And I'm like, oh, perfect. I'm like, if I'm driving at night and I can't see because I'm being blinded by their lights, I'm like, this is going to put everyone's safety in danger. So I'm like, like, that's nice. So I don't know. Like I I think about those things because like maybe like neurotypicals can handle it, but maybe like neurodivergent might not be able to. And when you think about it, it's not just one person who's like neurodivergent on the road. There's lots of people. And it's not that like they don't have the capability of driving. It's that you now created machinery that is impending like either like let's say 30% or half of your drivers, which is also destructive in a way. So Mm. even though some people are like, this is fantastic. I did an amazing thing. It also might be destructive for another set of individuals and, or if it's destructive for one set, it could impact another. So like for me, like, I don't know, like my brain, like can see like the, the differences 
and like I always crack up with that. Like, yeah, no, if, I, I don't like the bright lights either. And it's not very good when you're driving at night in charge of a car and you're going, I can't see my eyes, my eyes. I must close them. Oops. <laughs> then do that. I might just pull over. And yeah, or just I don't drive yeah. with my eyes closed, but it's kind of the natural instinct of what you want to do. Obviously, you can't do that because you are driving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like override natural instinct. Yes, yes. Yeah. So before we end our um our talk, just one quick question for you. Yeah. What is your top tip for a later diagnosed? autistic person that is on the spot you're like like yeah that's like a heavy question the tip um I think just take things slowly um I thought it would be a fast process to accept myself and go through things it is not (laughs) so allow yourself to go through grieving process if you have to um if you have to isolate for a period of time or make new friends, that's okay. Just take things as slow as you need. Um, you don't have to go at the pace of others. It's not necessary. And what everyone says in life, like you have to hit milestones. You don't have to. The only milestone you have to hit is like your own happiness. And that's defined by you. So, so. I like that. That's a good tip. Really good tip. Well, thank you for coming on today, Kelly. I really appreciate your time and chatting with you. It has been an absolute delight. Definitely same. And I really appreciate you having me on. Like it's been awesome. And for our listeners, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never have to miss an episode again. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast with Nikki Collins. Autism on Mac.